This episode is powered by denmeditation.com. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We have a princess on today. Yes, a real live princess, Princess Sarah Culberson. She's amazing. I love this conversation because it goes so deep. And who would expect it with such a fairy tale story? She was adopted after she was just turned one into an all white family. So already, you know, that's an identity issue, but this family was amazing. She talks about it over and over again, how lucky she was to have this incredible family, two sisters. Um, But here she is in West Virginia as a black child raised. And finally in her twenties, she decides to look for her birth parents. And what she finds out on her dad's side is not only does she have these roots from Sierra Leone, she's actually a princess. She's from a royal family and she meets her dad. She goes to Sierra Leone. She meets all of her family. She's addressed as a princess. She is now a princess, right? But she also takes with that the responsibility of what that means. And knowing that Sierra Leone had just come out of a civil war when she got there, she brings back this responsibility of what can we do together? I love this conversation. I love everything we get into. We actually talk about abandonment issues. We talk about ways to actually move through it. We talk about fear. We talk about, you know, not always knowing what someone's going through. There's so many incredible themes that we go into a deep way that I know are helpful for all of us. I think I cried like three times in this episode. You will hear me weep like a baby during one, at least. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, push subscribe for wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, if you can write us a review, even better. Enjoy. What an incredible story that you have that I know you've shared many times, but I'm excited for you to be here. But also, and we'll get into it, obviously, it's a story that needs to be told, but it's inspirational for so many reasons, not just kind of the movie affect of it, but what you chose to do with it. And I feel like that's really incredible. But like, let's start from the beginning, because, you know, I, my child is adopted, so I actually really resonate with this story a lot, obviously from a different perspective, but I always really love chatting with people um, who have been adopted because I get to really understand and hear things from a different point of view, um, which really helps me understand my child better. But you were, you were, it was just after your first birthday you got adopted, correct? Right, right. Just after my first birthday, I was with my birth mother for nine months. Then I was in foster care for three months. And then I was adopted. Now, when did your memories start? My first memory, and I don't know how old I am. And I've only actually shared this with like an adoption therapist, actually. But um, my first memory is actually, believe it or not, and then I don't remember anything else, is with my birth mother And I'm in this little crib and she walks out the door of the apartment. It's funny. It's like, I can see it from like a bird's eye view. It's very strange. I don't understand why, but I see myself and I'm, I'm a baby 
And I just start crying because I don't know where she is. I don't like she went, maybe somebody called her, like she stepped out and I'm having a complete panic. That's, that's what I remember. Like just being emotional and my whole body just getting nervous. Wow. That's actually my um, first memory that it's interesting. I've never actually shared publicly, but to answer your question and it, 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 it was, and then I don't remember anything else until I was adopted and my parents reading me a story about all kids being different. I don't remember the foster family that I was with that supposedly I absolutely love. So I was with my birth mother for nine months. Then I was in foster care for three months with this incredible family. From what I've heard, they wrote out this copious notes. Um, my birth name was Esther, Esther Elizabeth. And they said, Esther has trouble with orange juice. And, you know, they wrote down all the, <laughs> it's so sweet. She has, it hurts her tummy sometimes. And she's got a little bit of an ear infection, but we've got this going, you know, just oh all God. these notes. And they were, I think two hours late to drop me off. Um, my parents said, I think they were having a hard time. They, they had a little boy who I would play with all the time. He was a little bit older than me. Um, but that touches my heart to know that I'm getting a little emotional. It touches my heart to know that like such lovely people um, were there in the beginning. I mean, how and to know you were loved because I think, especially for kids who aren't adopted right off the bat, sometimes that's the thing that sits is like kind of the absence of love. You know, I remember when when my daughter was born and we had her from a newborn. I was opening up the den simultaneously, and I was freaking out. And I was telling my friend, cause it wasn't planned, obviously every the timing is its own thing. I wasn't planning it. And she came more as a surprise. And, um, I was freaking out to my friend and I'm like, I always envisioned being able to be home more when the baby was born versus all of a sudden feel like, and she said something to me, which was so always sat with me. She goes, as long as she is being held and loved by somebody that is the most important thing for children at that age. She goes, they almost like, yes, of course there's an attachment to parents. So I'm not negating anything about a parental role, but she said the most important thing is being held and knowing that there is love present. Mm. And I know. And by the way, like, and then once I went through it and saw it, I was like, Oh, she's right. And I was very lucky to have obviously me, but also other people who were providing that if I couldn't physically be there. Um, But how lucky for you knowing in this scenario that it's like you went from your birth mom to this family in the interim who really loved you. Yeah, that's so, it's so special. And I've, I've wanted, you know, I don't have any information about them. I've always, even when I went back to get my records um, through the social work system in, in West Virginia, which is where I was adopted, I um, really, was hoping to get their information so I could just say thank you and tell them how I'm doing. If they're even still alive, I'm assuming they are, but um, I don't have that information. So it's so, they didn't have that know, for you? no, you know, I feel like then everything was closed. Now everything's yes. open adoption. It's just a different world. Everything's very private. Yeah. I didn't realize the foster part of it was so private too. That's so interesting. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. I think if I was able to find, I mean, I don't even know if she's, who knows the woman who placed me with my family, but she, 
she might have the information. You know, what's so interesting about her is that my parents wanted to adopt a boy because they had two daughters already. My older sister's their birth children. And when they went to meet with the social worker, she showed them four boys and I think four girls. And the social worker said, was determined that they adopted me for whatever reason. She just said, I wasn't going to leave until you adopted the right one. (laughs) I don't know why I, I have to say I got adopted into the most incredible family with both of my parents are educators. So my mom taught kids with learning differences. So in first grade, so her connection to children and how checked in she was to me was pretty extraordinary. And my dad, a professor in the medical school, I mean, they're just, their commitment is to young people learning. So to have these educator parents who just are, were so checked in, which was great because being adopted into a white family, being part African, part white American, and being the brown girl in the white world, having parents who were very checked in is is really important because I was kind of navigating different things that my sisters weren't navigating and they were very aware and checked into that, which was really wonderful and very important. And this is also West Virginia in what year, like the eighties? Yes. 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 So, I mean, it's even like there's less education around it. So, I mean, really good for your parents. I mean, that's amazing. And again, it just feels like you've been taken care of from a bigger place. Yeah, I I totally, I'm so grateful for that. And and I feel like I've been guided this whole way and I'm still being guided on this journey. We all have our own journeys and our own paths. And, um, you know, even from, I don't want to jump around too much, but even from the profession that like going to undergrad and graduate school studying theater, um, I've learned how to be in front of large groups of people. And what I do now is I am a speaker. I speak on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and leadership and inspiration. And I also speak about the work that we're doing in Sierra Leone. And I speak on stages that might have 800 to a couple few thousand in the audience. And it's, I feel so at home because Mm. I actually trained for that. And I I remember one time getting this incredible life altering opportunity to speak in a women's speaking series in Canada. And, and um, the women, I was the youngest speaker in the speaking series. And I'm surprised I'm even talking about this now, but it just, I'm just thinking about when you said guided and, and, and a protected. And so I, um, the women in the speaking series, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, uh, the former president of Liberia canceled. And my speaking agent called me and said, can you replace her? And I said, the president of Liberia, <laughs> Just uh-huh. like, I'm like, I'm really not up into politics. That's not really who I am. And he said, no, it's not about politics. It's a women's speaking series. You'd be speaking to 3000 women in person And you'd be sharing your journey and your story, learning about your discovery and learning about sharing about being adopted, meeting your family in West Africa and finding out you're a princess and and what that means. And I said, 
oh, so the other women in the speaking series were Dr. Maya Angelou, um, Jane Goodall, Jane Fonda, lots of Janes. You got all the Jane, you got the high powered Janes in there. (laughs) Yes. Um, Madeline Albright, Caroline Kennedy. It was just like, what? This is, I was so nervous. And when I walked out on the stage in Canada, we were in Toronto, the orchestra was moving off stage so I could do a sound check. And I'm still like, I can't believe this is happening. And I looked up at the tiers of people, it was two levels. And I said, oh, wait a second. I've been prepared for this. And it was just this moment of, oh, you can do this. You got this. Um, so anyway, I just had to share that because when you were talking about but being it- guided, I feel like so much of the journey has been definitely laid out and I'm still learning and discovering um, my role in all of it. And isn't it, I find it so interesting too. It's like, you know, I love astrology. And one of the things I love when you work with someone who's great and you can see kind of this roadmap you picked out for yourself that you went into, right? And sometimes, right, the aspects aren't always great or that's the challenge or you pick this type of mother or this type of family life, blah, blah, blah. And it's just so fascinating because if we all just had that confidence in those moments, whether it be the moments we doubted or the moments we're like, what are we doing? Or the moments that are hard to know, no, 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 like you're in your training ground. Like it is all piecing together to give you what it is you need for wherever it is you're headed. And it's awesome to get to a point in your life where you can see it, where you see all the threads like coming together to make that amazing sweater or make that amazing ensemble, whatever it is. And it's such a cool feeling because that hindsight all of a sudden fills in all the color and all the shades that when you're in it, it just feels lonely sometimes, right? Or you don't fully understand what you're doing. So I think it's beautiful. No, I'm glad you're sharing it. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a, a definite journey. Things are still getting <laughs> revealed, uncovered, and I'm I'm still unpacking a lot of ways of different parts of life, but I'm enjoying the journey. Well, yeah. Well, talk about, I mean, so talk about it. So you, you land in this white family in West Virginia. You don't, your memories really don't start there. You said, you said within this family, your memories started kind of getting read the book of like being different, which I'm sure I think I read my child too. Um, Had you been asking questions up to that point or like, where were you at and around how old were you? And like, were there, like, I can only imagine, you know, as much as we tell people don't see color, we see, right? We see, and as a child, most of your assumptions are made by what you see. It's all you can really put together. Your 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 emotional education and is very minimal at that point. But like we see mm-hmm. and we make, so where are you at at this age and what you see around you and how you're feeling? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I remember reading the story. I don't remember thinking about being different up until the story Ew, because I think I, now doesn't mean I didn't. I just don't remember. I can't remember um, that, but I do remember in the book, <laughs> this is so kind of crazy. <laughs> it's as, as much as my parents were, you know, you can do everything to try to be so wonderful for your child and children will interpret things however we interpret things. I mean, that's the way the world works. We all have our own minds. And somebody can say, I love you. And somebody can make it mean like, well, do you really love me? Are you just uh-huh. saying that? Or somebody could be like, 
oh, you love me. It's, it's fascinating. So when I read the book with my family, there was a little boy who had red hair and a little child in a wheelchair and a, like all children are different. And then there was a little child who was adopted. Uh, there were many kids that had other backgrounds, but all I remember is red hair in a wheelchair. And I was like, I, I was like, is there something wrong with me? Like in a wheelchair, like something's different. I equated different with something might be wrong. Right. And so I was kind of navigating like, oh, I, I, I'm hurt. in an interesting way. Like I need to be, I, I took on, I needed to be, and I, this might've happened regardless of my parents read me this book, to be totally honest. Of course. Like, I, I, and actually working, I've worked with adopted youth and I brought in an adoption therapist to talk with them. And one of the things that I learned that helped me learn more about myself is that it was kind of sad to me, but kind of part of how it goes. Often adopted children are one of two ways. Number one, where we become like perfectionists and try to be perfect. So everyone likes us or the second way and no one will leave us. And then the second way is we're going to act out to see if you'll stay. Right. And um, that kind of broke my heart. I'm like, we don't kind of get a choice to just be who we are. We're going to just constantly like test the waters. And and I thought, wow, that's interesting. And it was, we were all kind of the cookie cutter in the the adoption group of high school students I was working with. And there were several of us, I was included, being like the perfect, whatever perfect is, right? Like trying to be perfect. like me, do right, I fit yep. in? And like, good enough, great grades, top student, club leaders. And then there homecoming are a couple queen, other- Homecoming queen, correct? What'd you say? Did I read a correct homecoming queen as well? Homecoming, yeah, right? <laughs> when I worked on the book, A Princess Found, that I co-wrote with my writing partner, Tracy Trivis, she said to me, I'll never forget this. She's like, we're going to have to figure out making sure we share your challenges because if people just read all your accomplishments, they're going to hate you. <laughs> like, great. Thanks. But not knowing, like, that's what we uncovered, not knowing like a lot of those things were in order to fit in, in order to, to belong. Mask. And it's, so it's interesting because you were saying, you know, so basically it's all, there's a fear of abandonment that's acted yeah. out in two very different ways. And it was funny when you're talk, talking about that first, core memory, that you're seeing it from kind of the eagle eye perspective of your mom leaving. And it easily could have been like you said, she put you down for a nap and she's going to like make a sandwich. I mean, it's not like she was leaving you in that moment. Right. Um, But again, it goes back to, wow, do we really choose before we come on this earth kind of what that struggle is that we have to learn to overcome? Mine might, is going to be different than yours and your, and then we automatically start creating situations. And like you said, another baby could have read that moment completely differently. It's funny. I was, you know, I do a lot of energy work and when I was learning how to do like soul retrievals, which is, you know, in traumatic moments, we kind of split. It's like part of us that feels unsafe disappears and we do a lot of things to cover up and it's how can we bring that part back? So we become whole again. And one of the stories, it's so funny when you were telling this, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. That my teacher was saying was he was working with a girl that had major abandonment issues. You've clearly worked through yours, but we're going to talk about it. Um, oh, I'm still working on it. Oh, good. We're going we're gonna to keep talking about it. But she had major abandonment issues. And when they were doing the soul retrieval, 
and went back, what he saw was, oh, I, you know, there was this moment with a baby where your parents were handing you over to somebody and you were screaming and you were crying. And she was like, oh my God, that must be the mo- that first moment. And so she went to her parents and described the scene that was shown. How many years later, 20 something, they're like, yes, that was like the only time we went away for two days and we gave you two your grandmother, who you loved very much, and you were well taken care of. But again, the perspective of the child in that moment was complete abandonment. It's, and it's fascinating. And it reminded me of that where it's like, and then you look at the other elements of your life. It's like, wow, is that what your, what your journey is about learning to heal? It's so interesting. I, I think I, I, think I, I that is a <laughs> part of the journey of, of, of healing that. And, and I, I want to share this. I don't know if it could be helpful for anyone listening, but, um, cause I've just become way more open on things that I'm working on. Cause we're all on our journeys, but so the, helpful. the woman that I work with, who actually has been working with me, her name's Galit and she's been working with me on, um, she's amazing on some of my abandonment and adoption things is she, had me go back to the moment when I um, am the little girl so scared. And it's, it's interesting because even as I'm sharing it with you, I feel it in my body, right? Because my, the little Sarah before I wasn't even nine months old yet, didn't have words, but reactions in the body. So the feeling comes back and she has the adult Sarah. She had me close my eyes, remember that moment, and then have myself as the adult Sarah go in there to that room and pick the baby up and just hold it and the baby's me. So I'm holding myself and literally I just started bawling, but it was such, and I started and, and she said, okay, talk to the little Sarah. And I talked to her. And, and the thing is, is that the anxiety or the, that trauma doesn't ever really go away. It just gets, you learn how to manage it differently. Like, Oh, I'm anxious. This is what's coming up. So what I do now is when I'm feeling that way, I've just recently taken this on. I've stopped. I take a moment and I visualize going and picking little Sarah up, the baby, and holding her and talking to her and then setting her back down, letting her know she's okay. And then I leave. And it, it's very helpful. <laughs> I was going to literally ask you, do you feel that exact feeling from as that baby in moments of your life now? Totally. I do. I, I would love to say like it disappears, but I think one of the things I've learned is that I, I don't think these, I mean, maybe, maybe they just completely disappear. I think it depends on the person, but I think very often it doesn't go away. We just learn how to deal with it. So it's almost like it is going away or there's a different way of managing it. So it doesn't take over our lives yeah, Yeah, or become debilitating. Yeah. So it's like there, but it's hanging out versus running the show. And and, and as we learn how to kind of look at it, I can go, oh, okay, you're okay. This is just what you're experiencing from something from, you know, years ago. And it's not really what's happening right now in this moment. This moment might be triggering it, but let's just calm down and get present. So, so when do you feel like you started really noticing this stuff? Because 
I could imagine it's tricky because like you said, and you say all the time, you were adopted into the most amazing family, two beautiful sisters, great parents. You were very loved. And then again, we'll talk more about the reveal and stuff. You find out you have also amazing other family, you know, that your birth family that you've now reintegrated as well. So I could imagine your brain often and correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just to lead Mm -hmm. into like a discussion that your brain would often be like, what the fuck is your complaint? Like you, you have it really good. So like as far as versions of this go, yours could not be written any better. So when did you start, A, is that true? And if it is true, when did you start kind of letting the brain quiet down and honestly recognizing what you felt in certain moments? Um, Does that make sense? It does. I, I, I think I, I hear what you're saying. Like when did I start recognizing like so, what's happening? Yeah. Like for instance, you, you know, you're saying now clearly you're still working on these issues that reside in you that yeah. come up and get triggered. When did you even start to feel or notice like, oh, I have some of this stuff because I could imagine you were distracted a little bit by how beautiful your story was. Well, I think I was distracted also by keeping myself extremely busy, accomplishing, mm. accomplishing. Um, like it, it, I realized that I'm, I'm at this point in my life finding ways to be still and be okay in the stillness and hard? move through feelings, thoughts, and, and emotions that come up. Um, rather than keeping myself so busy, I've always been a dancer, dance in a dance company. I was an athlete. So sports and those things and and dancing have always been my outlet. And I'm actually, which is wonderful. It it can be a good thing. There are a lot of other things that can be outlets that are not so good. Um, However, I'm also learning how to just be with the emotions of what comes up from time to time. And, And I think that I've been, I had spent a lot of my time, my life running from it. And at this point in my life, which is, I'm being really honest right now, and um, I'm really actually kind of digging in more. I've been digging in a little bit my whole life, but now I'm actually seeing patterns that I've repeated and and said to myself, you know, I want to shift the patterns and I really need to, sometimes all of my, the things that I would do to distract myself are not really the answers. It's kind of just sitting in the uncomfortableness of whatever I'm feeling in the moment. Absolutely. Does that make sense? A thousand percent. And you know, what's interesting that just popped in my head about this too, is obviously when abandonment is like a core thing and you go through the arc of it, I'm guessing part of it is this idea of, you know, am I good enough just being like, you know, right. It's not having, like you said, doesn't have to be the best athlete, homecoming queen, all that stuff. Like, am I wanted by myself? Like, am I comfortable loving myself without Mm -hmm. needing? Right. And so it's interesting again, when you look at, if we're here to act out a journey and learn from a certain thing, right. And if yours is kind of this string and we put all the, all these amazing things come around it to help us get through it you became a princess. I mean, talk about the ultimate, like, look, 
look who I am. And not that you act that right? way at all. No, 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 no. But I but mean, in, in this in this story, when you think about it, it's like that ultimate test of even with this, you have to learn to be small, little, and okay. It's fascinating. It, it's so funny because when when I learning that I was a princess, I'm like, wow, isn't this icing on the cake to go look at me? I'm I'm here. I am. I'm the homecoming queen. I was varsity basketball state track meet. Blah 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 blah. Full scholarship to college, and now I'm a princess. I'm like, oh, this this is perfect in alignment with my. Am I good enough? Here I am. Whatever that is, right? Yeah. Um, but exactly, like no matter what <laughs> we do or where we are or what we've accomplished, or maybe I should speak in the I perspective, no matter what I have done or what I've accomplished, it still does have to come back to me just being okay with me. Um, I still do have feel like anxiety around abandonment from time to time and then have to be with that. It doesn't, for me, it hasn't just disappeared. I've just learned how to manage it in a better way. Um, and uh, it's so funny because I'm literally working on all, it, it's, it's, there's no surprise we're talking. Because <laughs> right. this is literally what I've really been unpacking and working on at this point in my life. But I'm so um, glad we're talking because, yes, people might not have that same story of I was adopted and then I became a princess. I'm sure I don't know anyone else who has that story. But, <laughs> but right. But the themes, so many have that story. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that idea of starting from as the baby, whether it's. You know, and by the way, this is not an ad of like every mom can't let their baby cry ever. Like I don't want people to feel like we're shaming all moms if their child cries yeah. at all. Because I think the point which you raised really well was like there's a lens of which you come in with and it's going to filter everything that way um, mm-hmm. depending on what it is you need to grow through. But I think so many people have that, the abandonment issues from different reasons. And it really is a hard one because it gets very amorphous at times. You know, it's hard sometimes to really go so deep into that stillness and self love because it's easy to feel like, well, if I'm just with people who won't abandon me, then the issue goes away but that's not true. If I'm just like you said, good enough, or how could you not see me? Cause I'm a princess. I'm homecoming queen. The issue goes away. Doesn't and go it's, away. it's <laughs> all of these different things. Don't they're different ways of being and different hats to wear, so to speak, but it still comes down to how does one feel about themselves? How can you, how can I navigate the world with who I am? And in the princess conversation, which is a whole nother conversation was a huge struggle for me to even embrace that because what came up for me is, Oh, people are going to think that I think I'm better or that, that I think I'm this or that. And, and I, because all my, I mean, if you think about it, what we know about princesses is England and Disney. I mean, there aren't a lot of depictions of princesses in the world, even though there are princesses all over the world. Um, that aren't often spoken about. And then I started talking to a friend of mine and we were doing a fundraiser for Sierra Leone Rising for a nonprofit doing work in Sierra Leone. And she said, she put on the invitation, Princess Sarah invites you. And I was like, <gasps> I had this anxiety attack. Wait, we can't say princess. And, and she's like, but you are. And I said, but 
I feel like that's too arrogant and blah, blah. And she said, Sarah, what is this about? And I had to really get to the bottom of, it was the same kind of thing, being worried that if I'm too showy or this or that, that people won't like me or people will leave or I, like it actually wow. was coming from that, stemming from that. And I went, wait a second. The British wanted to have one queen of England. So they wanted to kind of get away with the titles that were similar. So embracing that title is actually owning the history from my family and also talking with other friends who were wonderful guides in this journey. They said, you know, black and brown little girls need to know that they are from princesses and that we are from royalty in Africa, not just the conversation in our history books in America about being descendants from slaves, which causes us to be like, oh gosh, when the history lesson comes in middle high school time, you're just, it's just like, that oh, awful? can I hide underneath the desk because I'm one of the few in the classroom and I feel like I stand out. And working with students in a high school for many years, I remember they would often come to my office and say, okay, we're talking about slavery and I just can't be in the classroom. What is that like? Is it because you feel like everyone's staring at you? Is it because of the subject material? Is it tough? It's, um, it's, it's, it's almost like, I'll again speak in the I perspective because everyone has a different opinion. But for me, it was like a loud announcement that you're from, you're a descendant from people who've been not good enough, beaten, hmm. um, made to work on land and, and these are your ancestors. And, and it just is, um, to me, it's somewhat traumatic. I I think it's like almost for a lot of black students. Now, if you're in a classroom of like all black kids and you have a black teacher and you're talking about this, man, there can be some deep conversations. But when you're one of the few, which happens, it depends on the school, right? In West Virginia, there were five kids of color. One kid, actually six, if we need um, Jeremy, who moved from <laughs> California. His, he was Mexican and white. All of us were African-American or mixed African-American. There was one Asian student and one Jewish student that I knew. That was the diversity. And so when you're talking about a topic that's extremely hard to be with and just unearthing some really traumatic times, it's just, you feel as if someone, everyone's, I felt as if people were just all looking at me, like, how do you feel about this? And it just was hard, very hard. And, And I've talked to a lot of Black people about talking about slavery during history classes and they're it's the same response like oh gosh they hated it but if I had had been in a classroom with everyone looking the same we could really I think unpack it and talk about how we felt and upsets and so on so it could be a different experience depending on the environment right that's it's thank you for sharing that I think that's really so what do you it's interesting then what's going on especially in places like Florida that are trying to eliminate the conversation entirely. Which is so hurtful. I mean, it's just to me, it's, it's, it's another way of saying your voice still doesn't matter. Uh We're not going to allow you to be heard. And, 
And it, it really, it, it breaks my heart because I think one of the things as a speaker in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, the, the B part, D-E-I and B is so important to me, belonging. We all want to feel like we belong. It doesn't matter what our backgrounds are. We want to be part of something. Even if we're an introvert in some ways, there's still a sense of belonging that we all desire. And when people make a choice that other people aren't, their stories aren't going to be told, then there's a part that makes me feel like, well, our stories can be told, but you don't get, you still don't get to belong. You still don't get to be heard. Your voice and how you feel isn't going to be heard. And I think that that's, I think it's really dangerous. And I think it's sad to not allow people to have their experiences be heard and having a history book tell someone's story. And who wrote that? Who wrote that? You know, why don't we ask the people who've been through it, what their experience is rather than making assumptions about how it should be told. And I could be the same way. I, I, I didn't experience the Holocaust. So I'm not going to go and say how I think somebody should say that. I want to ask people, the, some the few that are still alive, to learn from them. They're, they're the educators. And I get it. It's very scary. It drives me crazy every time you hear these things of like, okay, well, if we're going to teach about the Holocaust, you have to teach the counterpoint that it didn't happen to. And I'm like, wait, there, what? It's like... It's that same idea of like, let's just leave it out. It's like, but it did happen. Why don't we just teach it? It'll be okay that it happened. And I don't understand that. I, 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 why in the world? I mean, that's another level of people not wanting to take responsibility or understand that people could be so horrible to other people. It did happen. It's historical. And and on like the small levels as human beings, it's that same thing. We all do some shitty things in our lives. And unfortunately, the only way to fully integrate and grow beyond it is when you can own it and admit it and then move past it. So like, and that's on a tiny scale of like people to people. And then when you make it, it's the same thing. It's like historically when you pretend something didn't happen, it's like, how do you grow beyond? You don't. You you can't because actually dealing with something helps us move through it to go to the next part. But when we act like something didn't happen, you're missing that stage and we're holding it in. It, it, it just festers. You know, I remember different, very different conversation, but in graduate school, I would get out, feel all these emotions. And my professor said to me um, in acting school, I went to ACT in San Francisco. And she said to me, I said, I don't want to cry. I don't want to feel this. And she said, but why don't you let it out? Let yourself feel what you're feeling. And I said, because I'm afraid I won't stop crying or it'll be too emotional. She said, But if you don't allow yourself to let it out and share where you are, you can't move through it to get to the other side. And I went, oh, okay. And I feel like that's a lesson for us in life. If we're holding on to something or pushing it down or pushing it away, like it doesn't exist. It's like, we're like, it's, it's inside of us building up and like a, like a time bomb inside of us. and, And no one should have to deal with that. What was it for you? Like when you finally released it, what was it you were holding in? I just, I'm a feeler. I'm very much of an empath and I feel everything. So whatever was going on and I was working on a scene and I would come in with whatever my Sarah emotions were that day 
<laughs> I would try to go, okay, I need to get into character and put that away. And she said, well, why don't you actually just use it? Because that's where you are right now. Mm. Use that in your character. And so I took it in and I was being the character who had all this going on. And she was like, wow, that was amazing. What was happening? And I said, I finally just allowed myself to feel what I was feeling and utilized it in this character. And she said, that's great. I love that. community. So you've heard me talking about these amazing certifications we've had these past few weeks. Well, Reiki One is tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on the drop day of this episode, February 25th and 26th, Reiki Level One begins a two-day incredible certification. Do not miss it. Go to denmeditation.com, reserve your spot. Again, these are all online. You can do them, but they were virtual and live. So you have access, you have your teacher right there. You get to ask questions, you get to talk, you get to be participant in the activities. So do not miss this chance for tomorrow. And like I always say, if you did miss this and you're listening to this later, just go check out whatever courses are there that are going to be right for you. I want to go yeah. back to the idea of what we were talking about with voices being heard and acknowledged. Like, and we were talking about it through the yes. classroom and then on a bigger scope. I want to make it smaller for a second. So here you are, like, how did, did where were you in your journey of, like, when did you know your story, I guess? How much of life did you walk through not knowing your full story? And how was that for you? Because when you're saying on a bigger scale, like inclusivity and stuff, people need to have their voice and their story so that they feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. How did that have an effect for you in your little bubble? You know, I, um, for me, I was 21 when I found my birth mother's, some of my birth mother's family. And my birth mother passed away of cancer. She was a white American, passed away of cancer when I would have been about 11. So I never got to meet her, but I got to see pictures and hear stories, finding um, some of her family, which was just so beautiful. They were, you know, really, really lovely. Some, one was a little distant. <laughs> there's, there's always, always one. Somebody, there's <laughs> always that one. And she has her own stuff. Like, you know, I, I finally had to not make it mean something about myself because I it triggered all the abandonment stuff again on a whole nother level at the age of 21. And I, that's why it took me till 28 to find my birth father. Cause I was like, I don't want to feel that kind of pain that I felt with her saying, yeah, you know, I don't really want to meet that. I made it means a lot about me. Um, but when I was 28, that's when I went to Sierra Leone to meet my birth family and the tribe and learn about this whole other culture, this whole other world that I didn't grow up in. And, but as part of the blood in my veins and who I am, and I look so much like my birth father, which is really interesting. I think I'm my birth mother's personality. They, the stories I heard about her, it was like literally hearing about myself and I had never met her. And it was talk about nature versus nurture. It's so interesting how much they said no one was ever a stranger. She loves meeting new people. She always had a smile on her face and she loved to sing, dance and act. That's all of that. That's me. Yeah. Um, but when I went to Sierra Leone, um, after finding my birth family and working with a private investigator 
I got off the airplane and when I, one of the most beautiful moments for me was talking to my father, my birth father's wife. Her name's Mary. My father's name is Joseph. And um, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing going on there. I just work here, but. Uh, <laughs> you need to take a moment with that one. <laughs> yeah. Really interesting. So they, she looked at me and she said, she said, I've been looking your, in your father's eyes my whole life. You have your father's eyes. Mm. And that touched my heart so much because growing up, never looking like anyone. Um, yeah. I know a lot of adopted people who look like their families. It just kind of happens. But I, you know, I'm a biracial kid who looks very different. And um, to have somebody say to me after all these years, you look just like you're you have your father's eyes. And, and then all these older women is like, Oh, look at her body. She has grandmother's body. Look at her hair. I mean, it was just so <laughs> neat to all of a sudden have all these folks say, you have grandmother's body, you have this, you have that. And um, see pictures of my father when he was in his twenties and how much we look similar. And um, I don't know, it was really special. It's funny. My, my siblings, my African siblings, um, who are full African, they look a lot like their mother to me. And so when I came into the picture, even though I'm so much lighter than the family, they, they are like, you look so much like father to us. Um, so again, I wonder that was really in special. the grand scheme, was that yeah. on purpose? Cause it's like an acceptance. Like there's no way they can, you know, again, we said it like looks or look like people see you visually, you see it's the first, you know, sense. Right. And it's right. like, I wonder if that was part of like, there's automatic, no matter what, like she is one of us. Like you can't deny yeah. it. Yeah. And, and one of the things about, I feel like I can't talk about every country in Africa because they're so diverse and so different, yeah. but a as a whole, I feel like the African culture, which there are so many different cultures, but the love and the community and the acceptance of even strangers that are not related is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I, I just, I've never met so many, a, a group of people that are just so welcoming to people when, when they don't even know them. It's just part of the culture. It, it, it's incredible. So we've talked about identity a little bit from fitting in or looking, but when you, so when you met this whole side of your family and even had now met your birth mom's side of the family, was there any moment of realizing something was missing before? Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I don't, I mean, I feel as if I just got more knowledge, but I don't feel like something that's interesting question. I, I don't really feel like I felt like something was missing. I just feel like I got more to fill myself up and, and have a deeper understanding of my roots and who I am. Um, I think my family did such an incredible job with talk about inclusion and just I'm so close with my family that I didn't, I think I felt this, I think I just got more 
Mm. But I didn't feel like something was missing, actually. I, I don't that. know if, uh, how other adopted kids feel. That's just my yeah. experience. You know? And do you feel like when you learned more about yourself, <clears throat> did anything change introspectively for you? Oh, yes. So much. Um, I think, to me, just thinking about my family as a whole, thinking about Sierra Leone, what has happened in the country during a blood diamond war. Um, and, and I also started to see privilege that I got to grow up in and understanding. I think we think there are only certain kinds of privilege, but I, I personally believe we all have different kinds of privilege depending on our circumstances and I, I started to, even though I grew up in a family looking different, dealing with all my own insecurities and differences, and I don't look like everyone, and I was dealing with all this stuff, but not really sharing it. But then as I got older, I was sitting with one of my uh, former students at the Oakwood School, and she was talking to me about her own, discovering her, uh, she's a white Jewish student, blonde hair, blue eyes. And she said, I started to learn about my own privilege. And as I was talking to her, because she had just done a workshop um, at a student leadership diversity conference. And she said, I, at, in the conference, I learned about my own, own privilege. And she said, and, and as I talked with her, I said, wow. I said, wait a second. I, even as a woman of color, I'm starting to understand my own privilege, even though I was struggling and feeling like I didn't fit in because I got to grow up with Dr. Jim and Judy Culberson, an upper middle-class white family in West Virginia and got to walk in doors that other people didn't just based on who my family is. And I started to understand my own privilege and I started to think about, well, what am I going to do with that? I think it's such a, important thing when we, we discover that we all have different kinds of privilege, that we do something powerful with that and, and work with others and become allies and so on. And so I started to think about Sierra Leone and go, oh, I'm not going to go back to America and go, gosh, I hope you all work this out after this 11-year civil war. My life changed. It was like, no, I, I can't act as if I didn't see this. This is my family. And I went to college and graduate school for theater. What the heck am I going to be able to do? I don't know how to do it. I didn't study like public policy. I didn't study international relations. Um, but I just said, okay, let's figure out how we can learn from each other and work together to help restore and rebuild after the Civil War. Because people in Sierra Leone have a lot of privileges as well with their beauty, with their understanding mm. of, of life. And um, I took a group of high school students to Sierra Leone. How was that? It was amazing. And they came back and gave a presentation to the parent organization. And they said, we break our iPhones at parties to get the new iPhone this, to get the new iPhone oh. that. They said, we're in Sierra Leone. We have an empty water bottle. And little children get excited because they can use the empty water bottle to go to the pump, to fill it up with water. It can be used as a toy. 
she said, and they're so excited and happy. And she said, we have all of these things and it's never enough. She said, what's going on with us? Mm. This is a student named Catherine and she got really choked up. So when I talk about privilege, I think these students who I took over there, who go to an independent school, uh, they and and live inside of their own privilege said, we see the privilege that they have living in a world that has them understand that we don't need to have all these things to be happy. Um, we don't have to always keep up, quote unquote, with the Joneses. Yes. So I think when I talk about privilege, it's not as if I had all this privilege and Sierra Leone was so struggling. I've learned so much from them about what's important and what's not. And isn't it so interesting when you went, and I do want to back up just because it's such a fun story, but when you decided to go meet your dad and you went to Sierra Leone for the first time and you find out you're a princess and all of this, you left as an actor, right? That's what you were doing. Mm. You were... Right. Yes. You you left the country as one who acts and dances, which is beautiful. And you came back basically an activist and a speaker. And I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, it 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 really transformed the trajectory of my life. I I remember going to an audition and I didn't know anything about the what I was auditioning for. And the, the casting director said you haven't even watched the show? He's like, what are you doing? And I said, honestly, I just found my birth family in Sierra Leone, West Africa, and we're working on a nonprofit and this is what we've been doing and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, wow, I got to introduce you to one of my friends who's also doing work in Sierra Leone. So this whole like audition became about connecting me with this wonderful person who then became a friend and we ended up doing fundraising together and we met up in Sierra Leone and so on and so forth. But I started to realize my passion wasn't so much about acting anymore. It was really about the work that we were doing in Sierra Leone. I became more, what was the quote that I came up with? My puppy wants to talk outside. It's usually oh, mine, sorry. so I'm happy it's not mine. <laughs> go, 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 come here. Um, what I said, um, I... I was more interested in my tribe's livelihood than Hollywood. So it's just kind of a, a shift that happened in my life. And um, playing a character that wasn't doing something powerful or making a difference in some way, I just kind of lost interest um, because my focus really changed. Um, it's amazing. Now talk about, let's do the fun part of the story. So you're, and I, I like it from, you were in an acting class, right? Yeah. Yeah. Were, oh, now or what then? No, then you were in an acting. No, like before you went to find your dad, when you, the moment when you kind of realized like, okay, I'm going to do this search. You were in an acting class, right? And it came up. Yes. You read the book, huh? I did. I do my, I do my work. <laughs> I, I would say, I'm like, I, I don't, people don't often bring that up. I'm like, how did you know I was in it? I'm like, oh, that's in the book. Okay. But also emotionally, <laughs> I love the like, Again, it, it brings through like it was another moment of like a cleanse for you, right? In some ways. Yes. Yes. So talk about that. And then because I think it's amazing. Yeah, I was in um, my acting class and um, let's see, I was just, oh, oh, when I decided to find my birth family period, because I was in, a, I was actually in a class in high school. 
Oh. That's actually when, in, in the book, when I decided to find my birth family and really kind of look at this, I was at a, in a class in high school and it was about, we watched a video about this woman who had to abandon her child because she didn't have enough money to take care of the child. So she set up with the social worker, I'm going to act like I'm a baby. Huh? You watched this in high school? Yes. Oh God. Talk about another time. Was everyone staring at you again? You know what? I don't even, I don't even think so because I, I didn't even, I was so focused that I didn't even notice or even care in that moment because in that moment I was in just wondering, and the little girl had a doll and the doll, um, she was holding her doll. The mom went behind a tree to act like she was abandoning her because that was the only way for her to be adopted in the in this story. And the social worker comes and gets her and says, hi, you know, come on, it's time to go. And he and she knows the man. And she says, but my mommy's coming back. He goes, no, 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 I need to take you. Your mom's not coming back. And she's, this little girl starts screaming, crying. My mommy's coming back. And the mother is behind the tree hiding, sobbing. And I was just, my heart was ripped out because the mother loved her. She just knew she couldn't take care of her. And her selflessness literally said, I've got to give her to a family who can take care of her because I can't. And it was heart wrenching. And the little girl dropped her doll and the mom said, please pick up her doll. Please pick up her doll. Like behind the tree, she was like wording it. And then he picked up the doll and gave it to her and they left. So I, in that moment, I came with a teddy bear that either came from my birth mother or my foster family. And I have had it my whole life. I literally have it upstairs right now. It, oh I, I've had it forever. And when I saw the video, all of a sudden, I'm, I thought, did my mother have to do that? I came with this teddy bear. All these things started to go through my mind. And I thought, sometimes I think as an adopted person. And I I don't want to speak for all adopted people, but very often we feel like, what did we do wrong? Why weren't we enough? Why didn't they want to keep us? And we, we very, until we do work on ourselves, we're not always able to go, wow, what was going on over there that they weren't able to, to keep us. And this movie really had me start thinking about that rather than feeling like what's wrong with me, it was thinking, oh my gosh, was she okay? What was going on with her? What was going on with my birth father? So, and that's one of the things that when I've worked with adopted high school students, and when I used to work at a high school for many years, we had an affinity group and they said, can we start this group? Because we're all adopted, you're adopted, and we need a space to share. And we want this on campus. And I said, great. So it was really run by the students and I got to be kind of like a, a, a sponsor of the club. But very, one of the things that I was working on with students who were so angry oh, yeah. was mm-hmm. I had them think, you know, what could your parents have been going through that maybe had them, you know, it's not that they didn't love you. It's not that they didn't, maybe didn't try. We don't know the story. Um, so those are some of the things that I would work on with the students and, and share my mother's journey. And I read a letter from her that I got from, um, 
the social worker, there was a whole letter that she had written to me. When did you get that letter? Um, when we were working on the book, uh, Princess Found, my writing partner, um, the letter, and it, it really hit me pretty hard. It was it was beautiful. She said, um, Esther Elizabeth, I, I don't remember exactly, but I can pretty much remember it. Esther Elizabeth, I want her to know that, and in the adoption world, we don't say giving up, but I think she used those words. We often say placed or, um, cause it's because a lot of the parents don't want to give up. They're, they're making a choice. Sometimes, sometimes it's not a choice. They're being taken away. It depends on the situation, but she said, um, giving you up is one of the hardest things a mother can do. And she said, but I wanted to give you to a family who could really take care of you. And I look forward to meeting you in heaven one day. Mm. And I know. And it was just like, wow. You know, not every mother is can write that letter, maybe feels that way or has the words or is well enough to write something like that. But we don't know what people are dealing with. That's one of the things that my mom who raised me taught me. We never know what people are dealing with. Instead of getting angry at people or making something mean about ourselves, my mom always says, I wonder what's going on over there Mm. to have them react that way rather than thinking that they're just a horrible or bad person. What a beautiful lesson. It's funny. As you talk, it's when I, ours was open because as you said, nowadays they do open adoptions and one of the things I try to always explain to parents entering this, you know, this process, it's so easy to get to that same place of like this separation between the birth parent and, and the adopted parent. And I had a very, very good relationship with our birth parent. And the day that she was being released from the hospital, so that was the day that we officially were going to be able to take Levy home because otherwise she was in the hospital with her birth mom for the first two nights and I would just go visit. Um, and I could feel, I'm going to get so choked up talking about it. I hadn't heard from her in like a while. So I knew she was struggling and I just kept trusting the process and giving her her space. And then she texted me and said, they're letting me out today, which was a day earlier. So I knew what that meant. And I knew why she was struggling. And I asked her, I'm like, are you okay? And she said the same thing. She's like, look, it's, I'm just so happy. I know that She's going to be great with you guys, whatever. Long story short is I struggled in that hospital day so much. And like she saw me because I couldn't hide it. I kept trying to hide it. But I could see her, how much she loved this child. And I still get like this. And how she was making the ultimate sacrifice out of love. And everyone forgets that, that unless it's being taken away, like you said, there's other scenarios they're making it's so it's one of the biggest acts of love and i think people don't get enough credit for that for whatever the situation is and she had her own story and it's not mine to tell here um but i remember she finally was like tall what's wrong and i think i was just like i don't know what it was but she and i were then like embraced because she knew and it was very sweet because the social worker was like this is why you two had such a good thing there's been such a beautiful understanding between you guys the whole time because I think I was in awe of her the whole time and her strength because she was very clear on knowing what she could and could not do and what was best for this child. 
Um, but it never came without an immense amount of love. And that was, I still, like I said, I cannot tell this story without choking up because it was so palpable. Um, and I just admire her for it. And I get it. And look, and I will, I always, when I talk to Levy about stuff, I always tell her that so that hopefully she knows, like, cause I, you didn't know a lot, right? I mean, you had to find out the pieces later. Um, because yeah, I mean, your, your birth mom, it was all love. Yeah. Yeah. And really having to unpack that and, 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 and embrace that and, and read her journey and her story and what she was moving through. Um, because what's amazing is the social worker took copious notes and would check in with her regularly and, I have her journey. It's like I'm reading a novel about her, which is incredible and hard at times, but also beautiful as well. So, so it was really special to be able to learn, especially because she's no longer alive. So I was going to ask you when you found out that she had passed, what was that reaction for you? You know, like I mentioned so many times, I, I grew up with the most incredible parents and my mom who raised me when I would ask questions about my birth mother as a kid, or when I mentioned her, she'd say, you know, Sarah, she was a little bit older, so she may not still be alive. Oh my God. So she started planting the seed very young and she'd always bring that up because she had read in the newspaper that because my birth mother and mother were in the same town, which is very unusual. Um, but she knew that she had passed away when I was 11. So, oh, so she, she had kept the article and everything for me to have someday when I wanted to, when I was ready to know more. But so when I found out at 21 that my birth mother had passed away, um, I got emotional. My eyes filled up. I remember. And then I went, wait a second. I feel like I already knew this. Mm. And then I realized, oh, my mom had been preparing me my whole life. So when I found out I was not devastated, I knew that that was a possibility. And she didn't say she was dead. She just said she may not still be alive because she wanted, she didn't want to, she, anyway, I was in my developmental stage as a kid I feel like kids can only handle so much. It depends on the kids. And I, it probably might've been a lot for me to handle at 11 to go, your birth mother dies. Like what? But at 21, I was sad, but I was, I was okay with it. And how did this all affect when you started looking for your dad? Like as far as your point of view on your, now you have kind of an empathy and compassionate lens for your birth mom how was that for your birth then? I think, you know what? I, I did a lot of work on myself to allow myself to get to know my birth father. And I say that because the family member that didn't want to get to know me too much from my mom, my birth mother was so traumatic for me that I thought, well, if my birth father's the same way, I'll, I'll be devastated. So let's just not find him. And then I did um, a class, I don't know if you've heard of, called A Landmark Worldwide, 
and I did this, the program and kind of realized, oh, I've got a story that's pushing him away. Like, oh, he was probably this and that. And, and I was like, well, wait a second. What was it like for an African man in the seventies and eighties with a white woman, a student, 19, 20 years old with a white woman in West Virginia, having a child, you know, maybe I should give this guy a break. Like I got in his world rather than just being so, you know, in my own and protecting myself, I was able to step out and go into his world for a moment and go, wow. And the moment I did that, it was like everything opened up for the connect. I was available. He was always there, but I wasn't available. I had anger and fear and all this stuff in the space. And it just, I just kind of cleared my space. And the moment I did that, everything kind of just fell into place. The private investigator said, oh, I have all the information. Or my friend said, oh, I know a private investigator who can help you because I was ready now. And he was in the class with me in the landmark class. And then the private investigator said, I just have a private investigator right here. (laughs) Right. Like, but it was all, it was like, it was like waiting for me to show up. That's what I realized so often in life. We get frustrated that certain things aren't going a certain way. But very often it's like we're in the way of that and we don't know that we are in the way sometimes or how to get out of our own way. Yeah. And, and this we don't class believe that stuff's that. waiting. Yeah. And that's how it all happened and was able to find him and be so welcomed by hundreds of people. Talk about the own. first phone call just because it's so fun. Just tell people about that first <laughs> phone call. When you discover like so you now just think you're putting that second piece of the puzzle together. It's like, okay, I'm just now doing paternal side, just collecting data. Life is status quo. It'll just be really, I'm guessing you're like, it'll just be really cool to know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so when I, when I got a hold of my birth father and when, um, they said had to send a message from village to village to village because people in 2003 didn't have access to cell phones and, and Sierra Leone. And um, so I, after they got message from village to village, he called. And the first thing he said to me is he said, set up, please forgive me. I did not know how to find you after you'd been placed in adoption. Your name had changed. Everything had changed. And I said, no, I need to ask you to please forgive me because I've been making you wrong my entire life just to protect myself. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And he said, okay. And he said, I want you to know that your birth mother and I loved you. And we wanted to give you to a family who could really take care of you and give you what you needed. And I was away at school when I found out she was pregnant. I didn't know she was pregnant. And she said, listen, I've got this. And she said, she took care of you for nine months. Then she reached out and said, this is too hard. I think we need to give her to a family who can give her what she needs. And I said, listen, if there's a day that goes by that you feel guilty, please don't. You gave me the best family in the world. And now I'm going to get to meet you too. So, so how do we do this? But one of the things I want to say when we were talking about birth mothers is I've, as a speaker, I shared that this story and I share it a lot in front of large groups. And there was a mother who had placed her child in adoption in the room. And I didn't know that. And when I, somebody came up to me after I spoke at this location and said, when you said 
if there's a day that goes by that you feel guilty, please don't because you gave me the best family in the world. They said this woman at our table burst into tears because she's placed her daughter in adoption and she's felt so guilty and thought she's going to hate her. And when you said that, you gave her a sense of what could be possible. Mm, So So that really lifted my soul (laughs) because, you know, I think as I'm unpacking parts of my life, I'm hoping that it can be helpful to others because we're all learning here and there are adopt uh, parents who've adopted children there are birth families are now in the adoption world it's called first families and um it's all so different and and i think that we all are on our journeys and we all have our emotions around it and i'm hoping that as i'm working on understanding myself and healing parts of my abandonment or things like that trauma from being abandoned or what I think is abandonment, but really isn't. It's actually, you know, a a parent giving me a family that I really needed. Um, I hope that it helps others in their journeys. That's one of my goals. I mean, I think this conversation has been so helpful (laughs) and very emotional as I'm crying, but okay. But before we go talk about the moment you found out you're a princess. (laughs) <laughs> it's too good. That, and you have to. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> and we've done this um, whole my... conversation, by the way, without really talking about I it. I know. Well, well that's because it's not even like, it's just part of the, the bigger story. Of course. It's what gets the attention, but it's about so much more. Right? Agreed. So, <laughs> so when uh, my, the aunt and uncle called me um, from Maryland, when I wrote a letter, the private investigator gave me the address and I thought I was writing my birth father, but it was my uncle because everyone's name's Joseph Pessoa, but they all have different middle names. Like my brother's Joseph Hindobe Pessoa. So there's just a lot of Joseph. So I thought I was writing my father. It was my uncle, wrote a letter, said, I'd love to meet you. This is who I am. And um, then I get a phone call four days after mailing it with this amazing woman on the other line. She says, hello, Sarah, this is Evelyn. How are you? And I thought, is this that Jamaican woman I met the other day? Because I wasn't expecting to hear from anyone so soon. And I, I, I didn't know the Sierra Leone dialect. And she said, I'm your auntie. We received your letter. And I started to bawl. I said, Thank you so much for calling. I didn't know if I would ever hear from you. I didn't know if I would ever see you. And she said, Sarah, I was there when you were born. I used to take care of you when your birth mother would go to the grocery store. She said, hold on, hold on. Let me get your uncle on the phone. Then my uncle gets on the phone. He goes, oh, Sarah, do you know who you are? And I said, I'm Sarah. He says, you are part of a royal family. Your great-grandfather was a paramount chief in Sierra Leone. Your grandfather was a paramount chief in Sierra Leone. You can be chief someday. You are a princess in this country. And I thought, oh my gosh, what in the world does that mean? Do I have to wear dresses all the time? Do I now have to be perfect? <laughs> did you, now I can never say a bad word. <laughs> did you almost have to like ask twice? Like to me, yeah, I, I did so not understand. Exactly. What does this mean? And um, he's like, you know, like Princess Diana, you are a princess. And I was like, I'll never forget that. Cause I was like, what are you talking about? And um, it was really beautiful because when I 
did meet my birth father and did go to Sierra Leone and going to Sierra Leone, my father gave me this beautiful green African dress. And when I arrived in the village, all the women came forward wearing the same green dress, singing in Mende, put a tang, 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 put a tang, 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 put a do, a do, put a Sarah, go to, they're singing, we're preparing for Sarah and Mende. And I was literally pinching myself because I hadn't won the basketball game. I wasn't the homecoming queen. I just showed up and oh. that was enough. And that's a big learning experience on this journey. Yeah. Right? I mean, Often showing up is enough. Yeah. We've been talking about that this whole time. So that is really beautiful. Oh my God. You are beautiful. The story Thank is, you. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to talk. I There's so much in here that, I mean, I shed tears multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We're both. <laughs> I know we're both, we're both, we're both emotional. Um, but I love it because not only do we talk a lot about abandonment and showing up and being okay, I think there's a lot of lessons in there for everyone to remember, like what your mom has been teaching you since you were little. You don't know what someone else is going through and give people the benefit of the doubt that everyone is doing their best to act out of love, whatever it looks like. And I feel like there's been so many of those lessons in this conversation of realizing how much love is really there if you're actually willing to allow to see it. Completely, completely. And even sometimes when people aren't acting out of love or it might be a nasty place, it's, it's coming from hurt that they've dealt with. And, yes. and that's another thing to be aware of. And doesn't mean you have to stay around to, to feel it, but I it's also it. giving them grace to go, okay, I, I get, I, I, I see what you're dealing with and I, I'm going to choose to be here or not, but not making them a horrible person, but understanding that they're dealing with their stuff. Yes. So. Oh, you're amazing. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're and amazing too. Thank you. Oh, please. Um, everyone stay tuned for her personal practice, but I appreciate having you on. I really love this conversation. I'm sure I will have you back because I feel like there's more we could talk about, <laughs> um, but I've already taken up so much of your time. So I appreciate you and have an awesome day. Yeah. And thank you for being a mom who's adopted a child that lifts my soul. So Thank you she's for who you a, are. She's amazing. So it makes, she's great. It's a gift both ways for, for you and for her. Yeah. Huge gift. So. And from her birth mom to me and vice versa. I mean, it's, that's the thing is if you allow yourself to see it, the prongs of gifts are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So now Princess Sarah is going to share her personal practice. One of the things that I do that really helps me in my journey is sometimes when I get overwhelmed or stressed, or maybe even when I'm happy, I write it into a journal and I write out how I'm feeling, especially if I'm stressed. I try to get it all out and it doesn't have to look pretty. Sometimes it's messy scribbles but I just empty my tank, get everything out so I can move through whatever I'm feeling and then create something new. And if you're not a writer, you can even speak it into a voice recording or you can just speak it out loud, but rather than holding it in. So I would say journal or speak your truth, get it out. And then you can fill your tank with something new that inspires you. 
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.